narratives, and we're looking at uh, the life of Elijah and some of the works that God did through Elijah. The Bible says it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house, which is where Elijah was staying, became sick, and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So basically, what's it saying? He died. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. And so he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. So kind of a little background or introduction. Elijah was sent to prophesy, as we've seen before, to the northern kingdom of Israel. He was a prophet of God who carried the word of the Lord, and part of the word of the Lord was that uh, rain was going to be withheld in the land. We know that rain was withheld for a period of three and a half years uh, because of the gross sin that prevailed in the land. And uh, for those of y'all that may wonder why, why did God withhold the rain? Well, the, the, the idols that the Israelites were worshiping, they believe, controlled the weather. So God was teaching them that the idols don't control the weather. He controls the weather. So 1 Kings 17 and 1, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except at my word. You may be thinking to yourself, why is that so important uh, that God show who controlled the weather? Because uh, it was an agricultural society. If you could control the weather, you could control your prosperity. You didn't have to trust anybody. It was all about you. So anyway, having prophesied to the king of Israel, God sends Elijah outside Israel to be taken care of by the widow of Zarephath after his brief stint being fed by ravens at the brook Cherith. And we're not talking about the Baltimore ravens. We're talking about the birds. So after the miracle of continued multiplication of her food and oil, we find that while staying with this widow, this woman faces an incredible tragedy in her family. And it's this incident that is described in her text that we will now focus on. Now, um, just, you don't have to, but if y'all could kind of ease in a little bit. I'm looking way over here and way over here, and it's just easier for me if Y'all can kind of bunch in a little bit. Even if you just move to the sides of this, this section right here, it would be fine with me. So, Yeah. So I guess you'll have to cut this part out of, <laughs> out of the message. So that really helps me a lot. So thank you. Thank you. Okay. So the first thing we want to look at in this text, I titled Miraculous Provision. So as we look at our text, it says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bent of flour shall not be raised up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry till the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And this is what happened immediately prior to this text. So she, the widow of Zarephath, went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. And sure enough, the bent of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now I just wanted to set the stage uh, for what 
we really want to focus on by reminding us that this woman was a person of great faith. She not only honored the man of God, as we saw last week, as the prophet of the Lord, but also obeyed the word of the Lord and gave him the last bit of food she had according to the word of God with the promise of ongoing multiplication awaiting her uh, uh, obedience. And God met her there, met her at that point of faith, and she experienced a supernatural, miraculous, ongoing provision of food that fed her, the prophet, and her household throughout the entire time that everybody else was in famine. Now, how many of y'all know that uh, the Bible teaches that the Word of God is uh, like bread? It's our bread, right? That man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So I was just thinking about this right now. In a way, when she took a step of faith, she experienced God's abundant provision uh, that was going to uh, be poured out in her life, and she experienced uh, basically a salvation from death. So you could look at this as a type of salvation. If you trust God and believe God and put your faith in God's Word, which she did, then she began to experience that miraculous provision of God that come through the word of the Lord, through the salvation that God brought through the prophet of God, through the word of God. And so we can liken that to what God did in one way when we got saved, when the word of the Lord went forth and we preached the word of God or you heard the word of God preached and you took a step of faith like this woman did and you said, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to put my life in your hands and I'm going to say, yes, Lord. And when you did, God, what you found is that God met you there and miraculously began a process of providing for you through the Christian life, through the work that Jesus did at the cross of Calvary, right? So I just want to help us to see that the, 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 the correlation there between us and her. Okay, so I also want to remind you that this woman was not an Israelite. She didn't grow up in church. <laughs> she, she wasn't born under the pew. She didn't go to church all her life. She was a Gentile. This outsider, unlike the Israelites, believed God, and because she believed God, she received from God. And that's awesome, right? So the second thing I want us to look at after that uh, miraculous provision brings us to our text, there became and there was an unexpected tragedy. So 1 Kings 17 and 17 says, It happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick, and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So while the man of God was in the house, the prophet of the Lord, while experiencing this miraculous outpouring of God's provision, something unexpected takes place. A plot twist is making itself known as this woman of great faith is now faced with her first test, a tragedy, and that tragedy is that her son is not breathing. Her son is, is basically dying and comes to a point where he dies. He's struck with an illness that takes his life from him. So, have, And my question is, have you ever been going through a time of breakthrough or experiencing something great from God when all of a sudden everything seems to go dark? And then all of a sudden now uh, darkness begins to break forth and it seems like it begins to overcome the light that you're experiencing in Christ. It's like the sun has finally arisen in your life and things in your future look good it, and suddenly it seems like the breath gets knocked out of you as something unexpected hits you right in the gut. 
I like to describe this, uh, and I've been through this many times. Uh, went through this a couple of years ago. Um, it's not the only time I've been through it, but it, but this illustration I use became relevant to me because um, if you've ever read the book of Job, there's 42 chapters in the book of Job, and Job's life is going pretty good in chapter one, and then all of a sudden chapter two is like this woman. Uh, everything gets knocked out from under him. I mean, anything that could go wrong did go wrong. And uh, so that's in Job chapter 2. Then it takes all the way to Job chapter 42 where all of a sudden things begin to change in his life. And so I, would, I was going through a period in my life and people would ask me, I said, uh, uh, where, what's, what's, what's going on? I said, I feel like I'm in Job chapter 2. And then all of a sudden I'd feel like I'd get a little bit of relief and people would ask me and I said, man, I feel like I got out of Job chapter 2 and now I'm in Job chapter 42. And then they talked to me a, bit, a little bit later after that, and he said, well, I thought it was in Job chapter 42, but I'm only in Job chapter 3. You ever felt like that? <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of where this woman was. She was uh, all of a sudden going along, Job chapter 1, everything's good, I'm blessed, poop, 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 and all of a sudden, Job chapter 2, psh, her son's life gets taken from him, and it just hits her right in the, in the gut. It's, uh, that's what was happening to this lady. And the reason it's in here in the Bible is because sometimes those things happen to us as Christians as well. God never said the Christian life was easy. What he said was, I will be with you. Right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, even in, in the New Testament, when, when the, uh, Jesus said, uh, "When the storms of life come," he didn't say, "If the storms of life comes," he said, "When the storms of life come." That's in Matthew seven, and then in Mark chapter eleven, it says, uh, uh, "Have the godlike faith." Whoever will speak to this mountain. So when Jesus says that, he is presuming upon the fact that as Christians, we're going to have mountains or problems in our life. If you got preached a message that said, as a Christian, if you'll give your life to God, you will never have a problem again, that's an incorrect or uh, uh, not a complete understanding of what the gospel is. What the gospel is, is that God, we give our lives to God. We follow after God, and God is now a part of our life. And so when we go through troubles, when we go through trials, which we would go through even if we didn't know God, we don't have to go through them alone, and we have a recourse, we have a resource in God that we can come to to help bring freedom and deliverance from the problems that we face. You hear what I'm saying? All right. So um, in 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 13, it says, All these things happened to the people in the past in the Bible that it describes in the Bible to the history of the Israelites. That is our history as well now because we're in Christ. All these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. That means anything you're going through, somebody else has been through before. But God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, he will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God will help you 
overcome as long as you don't abandon your faith in God. What the enemy wants to do, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. What does he want to steal, kill, and destroy? Your faith, your trust in God. Because if he can destroy your faith in God, then he will, see, he will, he will succeed in destroying us. But as long as we can have faith and trust in God, then no weapon formed against us shall prosper. No tongue that is raised shall stand. Because if God be for us, who can stand against us? Amen? So, this, this tragedy came into her life, and that brings us to our third point, and I call this woeful theology. I thought that was a pretty good title myself. Uh, woeful theology. And you'll, get, you'll understand that here in a minute. First Corinthians, I mean, First Kings 17, 18 through 20. So she, the woman, said to Elijah, What have I done to you, with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. And so he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying, laid him on his own bed. He cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing your son? So when this took place in the lady's life, what we find here is the natural questioning a person has when they're going through a difficulty, when they first become Christians, when they're learning how to walk with God. The natural question is when we face difficulties is why? And most of the time, because of how we grew up, because of how we've been taught, because this is the, uh, the, the, the enemy is, uh, uh, what does it call it, uh, uh, the power of the air, he, he's a ruler of the power of the air, something like that, I, I can't remember right now, but because of his influence in this world, what we understand about God is not correct. So anytime something goes wrong, immediately the enemy's there. And what we've learned is like, God, if you're big and powerful and all this, why did you let this happen? And what we want to do is we want to we want, we want blame God for what happens in our life, right? And so, that, but that's, I want you to know that this is in the Bible because if we happen to be there, you're not the only one that's had those questions, we're not the only one that has struggled with those things in our life because that's just uh, what the enemy wants us to believe. It's what's been sown in our lives through the, through the, 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 the thinking of the, the world that we've been exposed to. If God was so big and God was so powerful and he could stop anything, he didn't stop it, therefore he must want it to happen. Right? So the woman asked why, and then she filled in the blanks by saying, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Now, I call this woeful theology because it's woe is me that you would do this to me, God. Right? But nowhere in the Bible does it say that she was correct. So some things in the Bible are commentary and some things in the Bible are documentary. The thing is, the Bible doesn't always tell you what it is. What I mean by that is that some things in the Bible, God is expressing this is how things are, but some things in the Bible are just people saying things. Not necessarily God saying, this woman is right in what she's saying. It's just showing people for who they are. And we have to rightly interpret the Word of God and figure out, is what she's saying commentary? Is this God saying, yes, this is true? Or is this this woman just talking out of her mouth, out of her tragedy, whatever she's going through? But God is not commenting on it. God is not commenting on this. 
He just lets what she said be spoken because many times it's what we're thinking or what we've said as well. Right? So then Elijah said, give me your son. And I want you to notice that Elijah asked God why as well when he said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? Now you've got to remember, Elijah is the prophet of God. He's the man of God. He has the word of God. But it doesn't matter how long you've been serving God. We still have questions when it comes to God. We don't always know why things happen. We believe God. We pray. We have promises from God. We stand on the word of God. And sometimes things don't work out the way we want it to work out, the way we think we, they should work out. And immediately the question becomes, God, why did you let this happen? Just like when we were younger, when we get older, those questions become more, more sophisticated. Maybe they're, they're a little bit more sophisticated in the way we word them. But the bottom line is we're still asking why. But what happens is when you get older, you begin, and when I say older, I mean you become more mature in your walk with God. You trust God no matter what happens, what's going on in your life, no matter what's happening in your life, is that you have as a foundation that God is good. And I don't understand why. It doesn't make sense why. But I have to learn how to live with mystery. One day God will show me and God will explain things to me. But right now he's not doing that. I'm not getting explanations. But through the midst of all of this, I'm choosing to put my faith in God anyway. Because God is good. If you don't have a foundation that God is good, then life is going to be difficult for you. The Bible teaches that God is good. Right? And if we have to have that as a foundation, and when we, when we begin to put God's Word as our foundation, it changes the way we reason in life. Right? It changes. It's kind of like my kids, when they were younger, I couldn't explain to them everything. Sometimes I didn't explain to them everything. Sometimes I would just, things would happen. And immediately, uh, it, what they have to struggle with as they get older is they have to think to themselves, why did dad not do this? Why did dad not say this? Why did dad not explain this to me? You know, but they have to get to a place where they realize, but I know who dad is. I know dad loves me. I may not have the answers, I may not understand why, but I know that my dad loves me. So that has to be the foundation. There must have been a reason to it that he's not letting me know or he didn't explain to me. But I choose to trust in the fact that my dad loves me. And we have to reason and walk out life that way as well. No matter what we go through, whether we get an answer, whether we get uh, uh, some kind of uh, uh, understanding, it may not ever come. We've got to go back and fall back on that foundation that my God is good and He loves me. How do I know He loves me? He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. No greater love has any man than this than he laid down his life for his friends. He died for us. That's how you know He loved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So the difference between Elijah's question and the widow's question, however, is one of them was not looking for an answer, but the other one was. 
The woman was expressing a heart cry of pain out of a misplaced understanding of God to the man of God. Elijah was expressing a cry to the Lord who speaks to his people and answers their cry. What you believe about God can affect what you do in the situations that you face in life. What you believe about God can affect what you do in the situations that come your way in life. I have a, a relative that, that I don't know where she's at today, but for the longest time, uh, she, she, under, she knew who God was when she was younger, went to church when she was younger. Um, eventually, like a lot of us, strayed a little bit. Uh, had a friend, a real close friend, uh, really, really loved uh, this friend of hers. And the friend was not living for God. The friend was involved in things that that we struggle with or in the past or we know people that have struggled with in the past and I think died of an overdose or something like that but immediately the question why did God why did there was anger at God for not doing anything about it for not changing it for not stopping it and because of that what happens if you believe that about God that God did that what then you want to do is you want to base your understanding your life is based on that understanding of God if God could have done something and he didn't do something then God must have wanted to do it I'm not going to serve that God but if you have a proper understanding of God that God is good and the whole time that this person was doing that God was trying to get him from doing, keep them from doing that, kind of trying to help them. But God doesn't make you and God doesn't force you. God gave you the most awesome uh, 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 gift that he ever gave any of his creation. He gave you free will. Because love that is coerced or love that is forced is not love. You have to choose to love God. You have to choose to, if he makes you serve him and makes you love him, then that's not really love. It's it's, it's, I'm forced to do it. People rebel against that. It's only when we can, uh, out of our own free will, say, I choose to serve you, God, that things change. And so God doesn't intervene, not because he doesn't want to, but because we choose for him not to. He honors our choices, right? And as we become independent beings, as we become mature and, and we become accountable for, uh, accountable for our own lives, the mistakes that we make, what that we're used to being covered when we're younger by our parents or people that love us or even by the Lord, the mistakes that we make aren't always covered anymore because we, in our own maturity, in our own ways of living life, saying, this is what I want to do. I don't want you to do that. It's not wise for you to do that. It's not the best thing for you to do. But if you choose to do that, you've got you to face the consequences of your choices. Right? So Elijah, was, uh, I title this point woeful theology because this woman's belief was that God was punishing her for her sins by taking her son's life. So she had no hope only despair. Elijah, while having questions about why this was happening, knew that the God he served was a God of supernatural intervention. So even in his questioning, he was asking God, who obviously must have given him hope for the situation he was facing. As I said before, what you believe about God can either cause you to retreat in unbelief, stifle your walk with God, or spur you forward in faith when you face the storms of life that life itself will bring. 
I oftentimes say to myself, God, I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful that I know you because I could be facing all the struggles, all the pains, all the things that I've gone through without you and I don't know if I could have made it without you because I feel like I barely made it with you. Right? I, I don't know if it's true, but uh, because I don't know uh, what would have happened, because I know the Lord, and I've known the Lord since 1988, and God's been so good to me, but I, I, I would imagine my life would be uh, in shambles. I would imagine I've been divorced once, twice. I don't know. I probably would have been in, a, in an institution somewhere. Uh, 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 you know, I, I just, I, I may have been, I mean, there's no telling where I wouldn't have ended, but, right? Because when you have no hope, what do you have in your life? despair. But I'm thankful I didn't have to go through that. I can only, I can only surmise, I can only uh, conjecture what my life would have been. I don't have to do that because God is in my life and I am in God's life. He gave me life. It's no longer I that live but Christ in me and the life I now live, I live uh, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Elijah's God was a God of supernatural intervention. Elijah has seen it, and the woman also saw it, but in her, in her pain, she didn't go back and remember what God was doing. Even in her pain, God was still multiplying the flour and multiplying the oil, but the enemy doesn't want you to focus on that. He doesn't want you to focus on what God is doing. He wants you to focus on what God is not doing. So what you believe about God can either cause you to retreat in unbelief, stifle your walk with God, or spur you forward in faith when you face the storms that life can bring. When camped on the Jordan before the promised land of God, what the people believed about God determined what they were going to do. In Numbers 14, 3 through 9, the Israelites were on the bank of the Jordan River. God said, cross over, defeat the Canaanites, and I'm going to give you this land. This land, I've already given it to you. All you got to do is go in. I'm going to go with you. So they sent spies in to examine the land. The spies came back. Ten of them gave a bad report. Two of them gave a good report. Here's what happened. When the, when the Israelites heard the reports, they chose to believe not the good report. They chose to believe the bad report. And it says in Numbers 14, 3 through 9, why? They said, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? Did God bring him to the land to fall by the sword? No. But that's what they believed because of the problems that they were facing in life, that our wives and children should be victims. God delivered them out of slavery into freedom, and now what are they thinking? Well, God just brought us here to kill us. God just brought us here to take our wives and our children. Isn't that asinine to believe that? And yet when we're going through difficulties, how often does what we really believe come to the surface? You know, when you squeeze, when you squeeze the fruit, you find out whether that juice is any good or not. When we get squeezed, we find out what's really inside of us, right? Oh, man, we're good Christians. We talk right. We, we live right. We act right. We do all that when everything's going good. But as soon as something's not going good, all of a sudden our vocabulary changes. And now all of a sudden we have hashtags and ampersands and all that kind of stuff across our mouth because of what's coming out, right? Trash. Come out. Where's that stuff coming from? In here. What? Why is it coming out of here? Because you're being squeezed. And when you're being squeezed, you find out what's really inside, right? And so is that, is that so, so that we can despair? No, it's so that we can say, well, Lord, I just need to get a little closer to you. Amen. 
I just need to continue to let you lead me and guide me in life because I'm not there yet, right? I've been serving God since 1988. I keep going back to that because I don't want to do math. <laughs> what is that? Uh, 20, 32, 34 years now? 34? Yeah. She's got her calculator out, so. Uh, <laughs> I've been serving God for 34 years, and I want to tell you something. I'm still not there yet. I need God. I'm thankful for God, right? But it's a little easier now to humble myself than it was when I was younger, to realize that I can't do this without you, Lord. I'm sorry. I made a mistake, right? And just keep moving on. Well, anyway, so the, the people said to one another, let's select a leader and return to Egypt. And so they said to one another, uh, 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 and then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the two with good reports said, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we pass through to spy out is a good land. It's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, which he does, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor, nor fear the people of the land for they are our bread their protection has departed from them and the Lord is with us do not fear them can you see what you believe about God determines what you're going to do they believe that no matter what was in the way God was for them God loved them God was going to help them to overcome and they were ready to go in and trust the Lord the other ones believed all of a sudden God doesn't love us God doesn't care about us he brought us here to kill us and what they ended up doing is they ended up turning around and so they ended up dying in the wilderness so we want to get out of our woeful theology. What do we want to get to? We want to learn how to get to upper room living. Upper room living. First Kings 17, 19 through 22. And he, Elijah, said to her, Give me your son. Give me your problem. Give me the issue that you're facing right now. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, my God, and he asked the question again, Have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. Notice he didn't hear the voice of Elijah when he said, God, did you, did you do this? God didn't answer that. But when he cried out in faith for God to do something, God answered that. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. Elijah took the child that was dead from the mother and carried him to the upper room of the house where he dwelt. What does the upper room signify? It represents the place of communion, the place of rest with God. Elijah took this widow's tragedy and placed him before the Lord, entreating God, praying that God would intervene in the situation. In other words, I don't believe, uh, Elijah is saying, I don't believe this is the will of God for this woman uh, because I believe that, uh, I'm go uh, because I don't believe it's, it, that it's the will of God. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to bring this situation before the God that I serve that can change this tragedy and turn it around and make something good out of it. Notice, it is a tragedy. It is something bad, right? Sometimes we do stupid things. Anybody ever do something stupid? Don't look at your spouse. Get out a mirror. Look in the mirror. 
I'm telling you, sometimes, sometimes I hear about things that people do, and I'm thinking like, oh, my goodness. And then I remember, you know, I did something like that too. <laughs> I did. I'm telling you, I've done some stupid things in my life, you know. And I said, aren't you glad that God loves stupid? <laughs> uh, I don't know how I got off on that. Let me see how I can get back. And uh, so anyway, he, he just believed that God could turn it around. And I, here's what I was saying. Sometimes we do stupid things, but you know what? God can intervene. doesn't make the things that we did right. It just makes God good. Right? I, I've told you the story before. I've, I've not been really good with future, laying out my future financially, finances, you know, they, they, they want to teach you that you got to live on 80%, tithe 10%, save 10%, you know, have your IRAs, 401ks, all those kind of things. And I've just never been really good at that. Um, it's just not been my strong point. Um, we needed everything we had to pay for what we did and what we were going through. It didn't mean we couldn't have sacrificed, but I just, I just wasn't good at that. Can you look and, and see the stupid here? Stupid. But I'm so, like I said before, I'm so glad God loves stupid. Because I was, I was lamenting about that. God, what are we going to do when we get older? What's going to happen? All this kind of stuff. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly. And he said, Rick, what is my name? And I said, Jehovah Jireh. He said, what does Jehovah Jireh mean? The Lord, my provider. He said, am I Jehovah Jireh only when you do something right? Or am I Jehovah Jireh no matter what you do? And he said, I knew you were stupid. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. I'm just, just ad-libbing there. He said, I knew you were going to make mistakes. I knew what you were going to do before you ever did that. And I already have something in place. I'm going to provide for you. Not because you did everything right, but because I'm good. And I love you. And I've made provision for everything that you've done. You bring it to me, and I will take care of you. You know, sometimes we think that God will only take care of us if we do everything right. No. God, we didn't do anything right, and he still took care of us by sending Jesus. Right? So what do we do when we do something wrong? You acknowledge your mistakes. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't mean when we come to God that He's going to make everything right and everything's going to go away. No, but He will help us to overcome. Right? He will help us to overcome. So what does the upper room signify? The place of communion with God. How often are we guilty of trying to bring God down to our way, our thinking, what we think is right, instead of going up to His? The woman was trying to bring God down into her tragedy, not to do something about it, but to just kind of look at what God did. And Elijah said, well, this is a tragedy, but let me take this tragedy up to God who's bigger than this tragedy. We have to change the way we think. Romans 12 and 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the perfect will of God, not just perfect, what is the good and acceptable there is a 
not good and not acceptable that people kind of in ways they are uh, uh, programmed to think and God wants us to change our thinking so that we understand that there is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. But in order to do that, we got to know his word says. Elijah brought this child before the Lord, brought this woman's problem before the Lord, and what was his prayer about? Receive this child into your bosom, Lord. Is that what he prayed? Did he say, comfort this woman in her loss? Is that what he prayed? Please provide the means for her to have this funeral, Lord. Is that what he prayed? No. What does he pray? What does he do? He stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to God and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Do a work in his life, a supernatural miracle of resurrection and restoration. And I want you to know that Elijah didn't pray once and done. He prayed three times without giving up. He wouldn't do that if he didn't believe God could and would answer his prayers. And you know what? The Bible tells us, then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. Not the first time, not the second time. Yes, he heard him, but I'm saying what it means when he heard him, he answered Elijah. And the soul of the child came back to him and the child revived. He was alive. And that brings us to the fifth point, supernatural life. Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper room into the house, gave him to his mother, and Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that you are a man of God. In other words, I still have my questions about you. And that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. So Elijah went up to the upper room with a dead child. He went up into heaven's course to make a request unto the Lord. And as a result of his petition and his prayer, he came down into the place where the widow was dwelling with a marvelous supernatural outcome. He brought her child, who was once dead, back to his mother full of life and health. Reminds me of, and I, I think I told this story, I may have told it last week or the week before, but when I was in Africa... Uh, um, we had a time of prayer. We preached for a couple of times, and we had a time of prayer, and a lady came up, and she didn't tell me all the situation, all the story. She just, she said, I have my, my son's gone. I want him to come home. Um, you know, uh, I just, I don't know where he is, and I want him to come home. Well, I'm thinking to myself, well, he took off a week ago, a couple of days ago, you know, whatever. So I said, oh, I just prayed a simple prayer. God, you know, meet this woman, bring her son home. And I think a day or two later, they had testimony. She she came up and she said, I just want you to know. He said, my son left home five years ago, and I haven't heard from him in five years. I came up and prayed. When they prayed, now, mind you, this is like a day or two after we prayed for her. I don't get the credit. God gets the credit, but I got to be a part of it. She said, I prayed. I asked that God would send my kid home. That night or the next day, my child called me and said, Mama, I'm coming home. And not only that, he said, I'm a Christian now. I believe in God. And I thought, wow, isn't God amazing what he can do if you will just bring your request to the Lord? You can stay in the dumps 
and you can mourn, which is there's, there's a time for that, and you can say, oh, woe is me, or you can say, God, I'm going to ask you to intervene and do something about this situation. They, the world tells me there's no hope. The doctors tell me there's no hope. My job says there's no hope. The, everything says there's no hope, but God, I believe that in you there is hope. I'm going to come before you, and I'm going to stretch myself out before you and say, God, can you bring life? Can you bring health? Can you bring wholeness? Can you do something with this situation where there's only death and, and darkness is, is, is brooding? Can you bring light and health and healing into this situation? And like Elijah, I think if we'll do that, I think you will find that God says, yes! This is what Jesus wants us to do in prayer on behalf of the people which surround us. That's why he taught us to pray this way. Your kingdom come. Not my world be like yours, but let your world come down and invade mine. And in your world, there's no darkness. In your world, there's no sickness. In your world, there's no poverty. In your world, there is only light, health, goodness, wholeness. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth, here in my family, here in my life, as it is in heaven. What do you think this did for the woman? Not only was her life changed forever, but I think her understanding of God and who he is changed as well. Her understanding of God was truly changed because of her relationship with the man of God, Elijah, who revealed the goodness of God to her through his prayers on her behalf. May the people around us find that their understanding of God changes because men and women of God bring God's power, God's goodness, God's love into their lives through the prayers that we pray. Because of it, she was experiencing an outpouring of supernatural life. So in conclusion, what can we learn from the scripture passage? Ooh, ooh. Sorry, I just kind of felt a wave. Goodness of God. One question we can surely ask ourselves is, do people's understanding of God change based on their reaction with us? Do we lead them to see God's goodness and benevolence uh, and, we, and cause Him to see Him that way? Um, you know, uh, and someone whom they want to get to know. It's my hope that like Elijah, we can all be used to bring heaven's life, heaven's light, heaven's healing virtue into the darkness around us. It's what God desires, and His desire should become our desires. And when we pray anything in His name according to His will, He's already told us, that I will do it. Amen. Amen.